Hey church, I'm actually preaching in two places at once right now. You didn't know I was omnipresent. No, just kidding. Uh, but I'm actually here with you and I'm also preaching at our church called C3 Church Great Lakes in Foster Tuncurry today. So I get to bring two different messages three times today I'm preaching. Well, actually with this one, I guess that makes it five times today I'm preaching, but it's awesome. I love it and I love preaching and I know you love the word. So let's get in. How good was that worship? It was incredible. And, uh, you know, we just trust that you are experiencing the sweet presence of God wherever you are. Um, you might be meeting in a home with others right now or just your family. Um, we actually pray that God's presence is real and magnified as you meet together. Remember, Jesus said, for where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there in the midst of them. It means he magnifies his presence because we are together. So what I want to do before we begin this message, I want to pray for you, for us. Um, so why don't we do that right now? Thank you, Lord, for the promise of your presence with everyone in every home, in every place where people are worshiping right now. We thank you, God, for the grace that is on your word. We know that faith comes as we hear and obey your word because faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. God, I believe exponential growth in faith today in Jesus' name. And I pray for a meeting with you this day. God, we don't want just information download. We want an encounter that brings freedom, deliverance, salvation, security, maturity and growth. And we want to thank you for your tangible presence in every home with every life right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, you know, over the past couple of weeks, we've been looking at our mindset, a predetermined, a preset mindset as to what we believe. Pastor Nate kicked it off a couple of weeks ago so well, laying the foundation, challenging us to adjust our beliefs. And last week, Pastor Darren and I, we just had a, man, we had a hoot. That's, that's an old term, isn't it? We had fun looking at dealing with doubt because all of us, as we said, every one of us at some time in our life are going to be faced with doubt, especially when things are not in our favor. Well, today, I want to take us to the place where we begin to see and know and get this revelation that uh, that. The way we view things, our preset mindset of beliefs determine the direction of our life. And in other words, the way we view a situation is going to have direct effect on the outcome. Let me share a bit of the Johnny Erickson story with you for a moment. You might have heard of her. Um, I heard her give her testimony back in the late 70s. Uh, as a young teenage girl in her, seven, as in her 17th year, she had a swimming accident, left her a quadriplegic. Um, and after two years of rehabilitation where she went through, in her words, depression, suicidal thoughts, doubts about God, she was determined, no, I'm going to believe God. I'm going to trust God in spite of the accident. And I'm going to give my life to serve him. There must be a purpose in this. And I remember getting a picture, a, a drawing that she did. And literally she started drawing with the brush and the pencils in her mouth. She would draw onto canvas. And I remember buying one of those. Every one of them down the bottom right hand corner was PTL. Praise the Lord. And this is a young lady who just everything seemed to go south for her. But in spite of that, God used her incredibly. 
And, uh, and Johnny now is an internationally known advocate for people with disabilities. And she determined no matter what, God is good. No matter what takes place in our life, we should serve him and glorify him because he is good. And, and she's that artist who draws, as I said, but she's also the founder and CEO of Johnny and Friends. It's an international disability center. A be- she's a best-selling author of, get this, more than 50 books. Um, she's a radio and TV host and a featured guest on all kinds of media outlets. Let me share some quotes with you that talks about how she predetermined in her mind to believe God, to trust God, no matter what. She said this, Sometimes God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. Gosh, how powerful is that? I mean, that's just out there. Here's another one she said. He has chosen not to heal me, but to hold me. The more intense the pain, the closer his embrace. Wow. And this one, I mean, this one encapsulates the whole thing that we're talking about, a mindset. Perspective is everything when you're experiencing the challenges of life. And she certainly did. And you know, there are many instances in the Bible where the view that people had determined the kind of outcome they lived and experienced. Like you've heard the story of Joseph. He's sold into slavery. He's taken away into Egypt, a foreign country, foreign gods, foreign language. And he goes through this years and years of heartache and pain and all kind of things. And until eventually he's raised up to be so high in Egypt and in charge. And his brothers come down for relief and they didn't recognize him. And when they finally did, they were afraid. And he said this to them in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. But as for you, You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Man, what a perspective. What a mindset. It caused Joseph to face his negative circumstances as opportunities for God to work. Wow. What about Job? Oh, everybody knows about Job. We talk about the the patience of Job. But, you know, the New Testament doesn't talk about the patience of Job. It talks about the perseverance of Job. And after all the horrible things that happened to him and his friends telling him to curse God, even his wife saying, why don't you just curse God and die? Job going through doubts and dark seasons. He said this in Job chapter 19. He said, for I know, isn't that that amazing? I know, I've determined in my mind to know that my Redeemer lives. And he shall stand at last on the earth. In other words, whatever takes place, God is in control and he will be here. And even after my skin is destroyed, after I die, this I know, that in my flesh I'm going to see God. Wow. Job's circumstances took him to a place of greater faith and intimacy with God. He was a greater man after. And then you go to the New Testament and you got the Apostle Paul, often called the apostle, the father of grace. In his own words, he went through hardships, persecutions, beatings, even the threat of death. And yet he said to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 11, he said, yes, we live under constant threat of death because we serve Jesus. Then you drop down to verse 15. All of this is for your benefit. You hear what Paul's saying? Everything that I suffer is for your good. It's going to turn out for you. And he said, and God's grace reaches more and more people and there'll be great thanksgiving to God who who will receive more and more glory. You know what happened? Paul's circumstances. And he saw this and he wanted them to see this. 
His circumstances not only helped the church at Corinth experience God's grace in great measure, but it spread to the entire world. And, and, and people today are impacted by this immeasurable message of grace. It's just inc incredible, you know, these things that happen, this predetermined mindset, no matter what's going on around me, I know what God has said to me. I know who He is and what He promises. And there's a story like this in the Old Testament I want us to go to. Uh, before we kind of finish things off today about this predetermined mindset, there were some young men that were just absolutely incredible in their belief system about God in spite of everything that went on around them. Many of you will be familiar with the story. The nation of Israel had been overthrown by Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and he ransacks Jerusalem. He takes sacred articles from the temple and he takes them back to Babylon along with many of the people and he makes them slaves to serve him in Babylon. Some of the young men, they were good looking, they were strong, uh, they were eager. Uh, they were selected to serve in the king's palace, which meant this. Now, this is testing. They had to learn the customs. They had to learn the language. They had to learn the philosophy, but they also had to learn the religion of Babylon. They had to know the gods of Babylon. Every one of these four young men were renamed with a Babylonian name that honored the gods of Babylon. And so all of a sudden they're immersed in this thing, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel. And there's a great point here for us to learn. Even when the culture around us closes in on us and pressures us to compromise our faith, we can stand strong because we have determined in our mind, in our faith, in our soul ahead of time to serve the Lord, to know His Word, to live by His Word. And when we're pressured by the world to be involved in, a, say, a, a questionable, questionable business adventure, don't go there because you know it's not right. Even when the pressure's on to accept a belief that says all religions ultimately lead to God, don't go there because we know and believe that Jesus said, I'm the way. And so here are these four young men. They didn't adjust their beliefs to fit with the culture they lived in. Hey, listen, don't adjust your beliefs today just because the culture tries to tell you it's unpopular to believe the way you believe. And yet these young men still found favor with the king and they lived in that favor for a number of years in the palace of the king. But then something shifted, bam! Something major took place. And you know what? We can live in favor as Christians in the culture where we're at for a time. But I'm telling you, eventually something's going to happen that's going to put our faith to the test. It's going to challenge our belief system and what we really believe about God. And here's what happened to these men. Nebuchadnezzar gets kind of big on himself and he creates this giant idol. And he demands that everyone kneel in worship when the music's played. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel's off on an adventure. He's not here when this happens. The three young men who serve in the king's palace but refuse, refuse to compromise their beliefs. When the music began to play, they were the only men standing. Everybody else is kneeling down before this great big idol that says Nebuchadnezzar's a god. There they are standing. Can you imagine that? Thousands, if not millions of people kneeling down. Here's these three lone men. Do you know what? It's not popular to stick to your convictions. It's not always popular to say, this is what I believe, you know, and, and I'm going to hang to this belief. But these three men did. And the officials in Babylon, man, they were just 
hostile about this. But they knew in their mind, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego knew because of the commandments that God gave, you shall have no other gods before me. They said, no, we're not going to kneel. Uh, that's what we believe. There is one God and we will kneel before Him and Him alone. Predetermined in their mind, this is who we serve. So the officials come to the king and go, these three men defied you. They rebelled. They didn't kneel. And here's a good point. When is it okay to not do what the government tells you to do? I don't think it's ever right to be totally a rebel. But when is it okay to not do when the government tells you something to do? And even in the New Testament, when, when the powers that be tried to tell the apostles, stop telling people about Jesus, they said, well, you determine what's right for you. But as for us, we will speak the name of Jesus because that's what he told us to do. And they didn't bow to that pressure. That's when it's right, when it goes against a direct edict of the Word of God, a, a direct belief in the Word of God that causes you to violate your belief in God's Word. You don't follow it. So here we are. We get to the book of Daniel chapter 3. If you got your Bible, you might want to turn there. Daniel chapter 3, one of the prophets in the Old Testament. Uh, we often read the story of Daniel. We admire the young man who didn't compromise. But here's three of his friends who would not compromise even under the threat of death, which we're going to read in Daniel 3. Uh, I'll be reading from the New International Version. It will be on the screen, but it, I always like to have a paper Bible in front of me and, you know, marking it and everything. So if you're ready, we're going there. Daniel chapter 3. Verse 13, here we go. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I've set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kind of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. In other words, I'll let you off the hook if you compromise. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Watch this next phrase. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Man, this challenge has rolled down through history continually. The challenge and the pressure is on to conform and to compromise our genuine belief in God. These three young men face it. Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not intend to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. These three young men had already made up their mind that God is all-powerful and there is nothing He cannot do. We know He is able. You know, you know what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 3? He said, I'm convinced that God is able to do immeasurably, abundantly, exceedingly above all we could ever ask or imagine, superlative upon superlative upon superlative. There's nothing He cannot do. So these young men had in their head and in their belief system and in their conviction that they stood on, it doesn't matter what you say, our God is able. And I think we've got a hold of that in the day we live when the world around us is telling us, Maybe Christianity's dead. Maybe the church is a big elephant, big white elephant in society. It's, it's, it's a dinosaur. We don't need this anymore. Not true. Our God is able. Verse 18. This is a key verse in the whole thing. But even if he does not. I know this, this message is talking about the perception that we have determines the direction we go. But I'd kind of 
like to title this sermon, Even If He Does Not, which is incredible because they knew. Here's the other thing about God. Not only is He good, not only is He able, but He is sovereign. He knows the big picture. He knows the beginning and the end, and He knows every detail. And sometimes He doesn't tell us every detail. And if God's plan is bigger uh, than their present moment, and it means a different outcome than they want, we're still going to trust Him. We're still going to worship Him. And they said this, We want you to know, King, we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you've set up. Why? Because it still goes against our core belief system. Let me give you a quote from yours truly. A moment of compromise cannot compare to an eternity determined by truth. In, in, a, in a given moment when the pressure is on and, and they're trying to get us to give in to our, uh, our convictions and, and give up our convictions, don't do it because eternity is determined by the truth that we stand on. So let me just give you a few points that might help in this today. Number one, remember when circumstances are not in your favor, even against you, you have nothing to prove. Absolutely nothing. They said, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. You know what? You know what they're saying? These young men are saying, we don't need to give up an apology for what we believe and we stand for. And they're not being proud here. They're just being resolute. Their minds were made up. They knew what or whom they believed in, regardless of who was against them at that moment. Let me say, don't let the pressures of the moment determine the rest of your life. One weak moment of compromise can destroy your life. Stand strong and stay true in the moment because of what you've predetermined to believe according to this truth. Nebuchadnezzar responds, man, he gets hostile. Hey, listen, who, what God is going to be able to rescue you from my hand when I throw you into the furnace if you don't bow? And they predetermined, listen, our belief about God is this. He is able. He is able There is nothing that God cannot do, but it's almost like they're saying, Nebuchadnezzar, God doesn't have to prove himself to you. He is able. They had said in their mind, no matter what the result is today, our God is able. He has nothing to prove to you. You know, it's like Nebuchadnezzar saying, huh, here's my gods. They're going to burn you up. Where's your God? Is he going to save you? And they're going, you know what? Got nothing to prove. I like what Miller says in his commentary. This is a key. Although no doubt existed in the minds of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego about the ability of their God to deliver them, they humbly accepted the fact that God does not always choose to intervene miraculously in human circumstances, even on behalf of His servants. Think about that for a minute. Could He have stopped the Romans from executing Jesus? Of course He could, but He had a bigger plan. Could He have stopped Peter from being crucified upside down? for preaching the gospel? Of course he could, but he had a bigger plan. Could he have stopped the martyr that happened throughout the centuries uh, for the cause of the gospel? Of course he can, but he has a bigger plan, a plan that goes far beyond things in this life. And when we don't see these things going our way, don't be tempted to prove yourself so that you'll be accepted. Uh, You you don't have to prove yourself to anyone. Uh, One more point. When things don't seem to be going your way and circumstances seem to be against you, it's good to remember that you don't have to perform. You don't have to prove yourself, but neither do you have to dance to the tune of the world that says to be acceptable, to be liked, to be popular, to be powerful, you must act like this. You must believe that. You don't have to do that. You don't have to perform. 
Back to verse 18, that phrase. But even if he does not, even if God doesn't rescue us today, we want you to know we're not going to worship your gods. We're not going to bow before them. Listen, I want to tell you, and this is a tough thing, and I cannot explain it. I can just tell you the reality of it. There are times when God does not. God will not perform. He will not dance to anyone's tune because he has a plan that's in play. And we might not know it, but we know the end. And there are times when he doesn't work in the way we think he should or want him to. I I can't explain it. He might not bring healing when we ask for it. He might not bring a job when we need it. There are times when we ask him to take us out of the valley that we're in, but he, he doesn't. We walk through the valley. And I want to say to you today, does that mess with your idea about God? Does it change your expectation of God? But you see, if our mind is already made up that knowing that God is good, that He works for our good, even when we don't see it, even when we don't understand it, then we're not going to expect Him to perform in the way that we think He should. But the deal is this too, guys. God doesn't have to perform, but neither do we. Because we already know and believe that He's able. He's got the end in sight. And when He doesn't, we don't have to pretend that He did. In other words, in a moment of sickness, when we pray for healing and we're not instantly healed, we don't have to pretend that God did it anyway. No, we just know that sometimes our sickness can be used to bring Him greater glory, like with Lazarus dying. Or our financial challenges can be turned into moments of provision that we couldn't even engineer with a thousand jobs. Or the valley that we're walking through becomes a journey of deeper intimacy and closeness with God. That's what David said in his psalm, Psalm 23, verse 4. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I am not afraid, for you are close beside me. Sometimes it's the valleys that make us closer to God than ever before. And these situations become opportunities uh, because we've known that while God doesn't have to perform, and here's the key, God doesn't have to perform, but He will demonstrate. And I'm not talking about demonstrate so that you can be happy with God. I'm talking about demonstrate so that you can know Him. He demonstrates His love even when we don't deserve it, you know. Um, In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says this, but God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Even though I didn't deserve it, even though in my life I wasn't pro-God, maybe even in my lifestyle at times I was anti-God, God still demonstrated His love to me. He didn't have to prove Himself, but He did demonstrate that He loved me. And He loves you. No matter what you've done, where you've been, God loves you. He loves you with an everlasting love. The Bible says this, For God so loved the world. We can replace that with your name. For God so loved Chris. For God so loved John. For God so loves Julie. For God so loves Amy. That He gave His one and only Son, Heaven's best, that if you'd believe in Him, believe what? that He is the Lord of creation, He is the Savior of our souls, and He came to this earth to pay for our sins on a cruel cross, but turned it into an altar and said, Father, I commend my spirit into your hands. He cleansed us, He forgave us, and He washed us. God demonstrated His love by giving us His one and only Son, that if we believe in Him, we'll never perish, but we'll live forever. There's one more thing that God demonstrates. He demonstrates His plan for us even when we don't see it. Do you know the song? 
I know He's working even when I don't see it. We sing that song. Well, you know, in Romans chapter 8, at verse 26, Paul says this. The whole chapter of Romans 8 is incredible, but this is just magnificent. He says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Man, there are times when we're weak. And then you drop down and he talks about suffering and groaning in this world and the pain that we face. But then he drops down to verse 28, which many of us quote at times when things aren't going well. And we know, what's that say? My mind is made up because I know who I believed and I know and I am persuaded he's able to keep that which I've committed to him. So here's what Paul says. And we know, we believe, we're persuaded that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him been called according to his purpose. You go, man, that's awesome. That's good. But let's read the rest. Verse 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. Now you see this? What's God's purpose here? God's purpose here isn't just working all things together for my good, but he's working them for my good to be shaped, to be formed, to become like his son, Jesus. The pressures of life, the temptations, the, 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 uh, the opposition against my faith is actually going to increase and strengthen my faith to become more like Jesus because my faith is in Him who works all things together for my good. It's, it's awesome. It's incredible because He says that He, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. You know what that says? There's a lot like Him because we're being shaped to be like Him. So we know He demonstrates His plan for us even when we don't see it. So let me say this to you as we begin to wrap up. He demonstrates His love even when we don't deserve it. Hey, today you might be thinking, man, I don't deserve God's goodness. I don't deserve His love. I deserve really to be punished or I deserve to be rejected. doesn't matter what you deserve. Let me talk to you about what you're given as a gift. The Bible might say for the wages, the payment, what we deserve for our wrongdoing and our sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You can receive His gift today. God demonstrated the greatest act of love ever in history when Jesus went to the cross for you, for me. And all you have to do is ask, believe, receive. Ask Him to come into your life. Ask Him to forgive you of your sins. Believe that He really is the Savior, the Son of God and receive Him as your Lord and Savior. Confess Him, trust Him, and ask Him into your life. And if you'd like to do that now, maybe you'd like to pray something like this. Dear God, I know I don't deserve your love, but I come to you now asking your forgiveness and your grace to forgive me. I thank you you sent Jesus to pay for all of that. And I now ask you, Jesus, come into my life. Be my Savior. I confess you as my Lord. I thank you. You died for me on the cross. You were buried, but you were raised again. And I will have new life because you live. And I know now that by believing in you, trusting you, confessing you are my Lord and Savior, I am saved. And I bless you and thank you, Holy Spirit, Thank you for washing me clean, coming into my life. Fill me with your power now in Jesus' name. Amen. You also might be thinking, 
man, there's so many things going wrong around me. Listen, all things are going to work together for your good because God demonstrates his work for you in shaping you and me to be just like his son. I want to close by praying for you today that your mind will be determined to know that God is working everything together for your good because the big plan is you're being made to be like his son, Jesus. So, Father, we want to thank you. Even when we don't see it, you're working. Even when we don't know the plan, you're working. Even when we don't see the final outcome, you're working. But this we do know. You're a good God. You work all things together for good for us. Those things might not be good, but the end result is going to be good. Because every day, your word tells us, we are going from glory to glory and strength to strength. Even the trials, even the testings, even the opposition, our mind is made up to stand strong on your word because we're being made to be more like you. And we bless you that our mind is made up according to your word, your truth, your love, your character. And we follow you and we surrender to you and we love you in Jesus' name.